0: Good evening, <clears throat> if I haven't met you yet, my name's Wilson, I'm uh, one of the deacons here, I'm the pastoral resident here at, at uh, Incarnation as well, it's really good to be with you. Let's set the scene for the story that we just heard. Um, let's, let's imagine that we were there that night. <clears throat> so what's going on? It's the evening of Passover in Jerusalem in the first century, all right? Um, you're in the city of Jerusalem where everyone across the entire city is doing the same exact thing. They're having the same meal, the Passover, um, just like Moses had in, instructed in, uh, in the reading from Exodus that we heard earlier. So families would gather together on this evening, and the head of the family would, uh, would lead this ritual meal. He would break bread to start the meal. He'd, he'd bless the cup at one point, and then he would lead the rehearsing of this great story of when God delivered Israel From Egypt and rescued them from slavery. It's the Passover. It's the great feast day. And this meal did a couple of things for the people who celebrated it. Uh, One, it helped them remember what God had done when He broke the back of the enslaving power of Egypt, when He sheltered His people from the storm, when He brought them out of their slavery and into His arms, into freedom. But this meal also anticipated what God would one day do in the future. Because Israel's sin and their failure to carry out their vocation as God's people had left them in exile. The first exodus had not fixed the problem. And so Israel, every time it celebrated the Passover, was anticipating that God would do something great again. There was this pins and needles sort of anticipation that was happening on that Passover night, as it did every year. One day. God is going to do a great and final thing. He would deliver Israel fully and finally. All over the city, this meal is happening. The celebration of remembrance and anticipation. Except at one table in the city where something incredible was happening. And something just just different. While all around, the city took no notice of this thing that was going on, unbeknownst to the rest of the city and definitely to the rest of the entire world. God was about to do the thing that this meal had been anticipating for so long. And so one Passover table in the city of Jerusalem that night was being transformed. Those around it were being taught to recognize a new thing that was happening, something so great that it would completely overshadow what God had done at the beginning in the Exodus so long ago. Something that no eye had seen and no ear had heard. And that something would center around the man who who was at the head of the table. And so here we are tonight. We on Maundy Thursday are rehearsing that supper and that table We in the churches around our city are remembering God's great and decisive final move in history. While the world around us takes no notice. Um, What brought you here tonight? What brought you to church on a Thursday evening? Uh, Let me suggest that uh, it's not because you felt obligated. Um, and it's not really that you were curious about what happens on a a church service on a Thursday evening, Um, and it wasn't because you didn't happen to have anything else going on, and so you heard this was happening and came here. Um, Let me suggest that the reason you're here is because Jesus drew you here. Just like he brought 12 people very intentionally to sit around that first table, let me suggest that you're here tonight because Jesus brought you here. He prepared this meal, and he wanted you here, and he's invited you to remember him and what he has done and to center your entire life around it. Jesus says this table is one of remembering, and uh, that's not in the way that we normally use the word remember, not like just think of or call to mind something that we've forgotten for a while, but active recognition of a thing happening, remembering as active recognition. So what is it that we are being taught to remember and recognize at this new Passover table tonight? What are we remembering at the table on the eve of Good Friday? Two things. We remember Jesus' victory and we remember our part to play. So first, we remember at this table Jesus' victory. Luke's gospel, all the gospels are a little different, especially John as always. Luke Luke takes pains to point out that it's Passover night when this is happening. He takes pains to show that of all the nights Jesus could have chosen to deliver himself to death, he chose this Passover season. Okay, the first Passover uh, was a grisly affair. The dark angel passing through the streets of Egypt and the firstborn of every man and beast dying. The defeat of an evil ruler is a really nasty business, okay? So we're seeing that now with Ukraine. The leaders of the democratic world are doing everything they can think of short of invading Russia and trying to take Putin off of the throne because the entire world fears the damage that would be done if open war ignited, right? So, they're trying sanctions and everything else to not go that far, right? On uh, May 8th, 1945, Victory in Europe Day, the whole world breathed a sigh of relief. Nazi Germany was toppled, but the fall of Berlin, the last battle, was absolutely horrific. It decimated men, women, and children. It devastated an entire city. Evil was pulverized in the Battle of Britain, but it was horrific, When God delivered Israel from slavery in Egypt, he defeated an evil ruler, the Egyptian pharaoh. And it was a grisly thing. And this time, God was coming to do even more. He was coming to defeat evil itself. He was coming, God was going to come and defeat the dark power that is behind every evil ruler in history. And every evil ideology, every evil system, every evil thought, every evil action evil itself. He was taking the fight to evil and to death itself. Now, what kind of fallout would ensue from that battle? How would evil not consume
1: everything
0: in its final death throes? No human could have expected it. No human wrote this story of what happened next, because at this Passover, at the second and great and final Passover, Jesus absorbed everything that evil had to throw into his own body and into his own heart and he killed it in his own death. All the flames of destruction burned out in the suffering of Jesus, of God and flesh. He won the victory in his suffering and so he spared the world. Now, the problem for us is this becoming some sort of abstraction and talking about it like it's, like it's out there. And it's just so big that you can't get your mind around it. Um, part of the gift of these three days that we're going through is that we get to feel it. We get to walk in the shoes of Jesus. We get to feel it in a visceral sort of way. And what we're called to do over the next couple of days is to bring the grittiest, sharpest pains that we experience in real life. And our sins. And the sadnesses that we bear on our shoulders and bring those things to the foot of the cross, to Jesus, to the crucified Lord. Real pains to this real person. Because Jesus did not experience loneliness in some abstract way on this night. He was really betrayed by a real friend. And he was disowned by an even better friend who should have been there on this night. When he needed them most. And Jesus didn't experience shame and abstraction. He actually felt the full force of Satan's schemes, the accuser's schemes. And Jesus, on the the morning of Good Friday, was very publicly paraded through as a liar and as a false Messiah, as a deceiver of Israel, and as a weakling who failed to deliver. He was mocked and he was shamed. He hung on the cross, dying a sinner's death. He became sin for us. So the shame and the pain and the brokenness that you bear, that you feel, the power of those things is only broken when you bring them to the one who broke them, who defeated them by taking them into himself and breaking all of their power. At this meal, you remember his body broken for you. And you remember his blood poured out for you. The great signs of the new thing that God has done. Deliverance from it all. Victory. This table then is a place to remember his victory. And every Sunday this table is the most joyful part of the service. Right? For this reason. But tonight there's this unique opportunity. On the Thursday before his death. To come to this table with his suffering in front of us. With Good Friday on the next day. And the reason that's an opportunity is because we can look at Jesus' sufferings in front of us and we can bring our sufferings there to that place and lay them there. As literally as he experienced betrayal and shame and pain, so he takes your literal shame and betrayal and pain and woundedness into himself. What of that stuff do you still bear? What of that stuff? Are you feeling the weight of on your shoulders right now? It is too much for you to carry. And you know it is. There's only one who can carry it. And he will. And he did. He won the victory through his suffering. So bring your sufferings there and see what he'll do. It's the first thing we remember at the table is Jesus' victory which purchased freedom for us through the suffering he went through. Second, when we come to this table, we remember our part to play. We've got a part to play in this story. Um, so Aubrey said it right at the beginning. Uh, this, uh, this table is not a place where we're given new ideas that are helpful and good, right? That happens, but really this table is the springboard for action, it propels us into the world. We recognize at this table the victory Jesus won through his suffering over all evil and death. And we leave here and we go into the world. And we look for the places that slavery and death are still acting like they're sitting on the throne and masquerading as rulers. Where within a square mile of this church and within a square mile of your house is there still slavery acting like it's on the throne? We go to those places and we say, Jesus is Lord. And he won. It's a table of mission, the table of action, because we remember that we have a part to play here. Jesus got up from this table and he literally and physically gave himself up for his friends and for the whole world, and so we follow him out there. But from this first table, his disciples did not follow, not very well. And so here we are on Thursday. And I wonder if we can sit at this table tonight on the eve of Good Friday, which feels different than the Sunday table a couple of days later. At the original first table, right there in the middle of Jerusalem, unbeknownst to the city, uh, sat the only group of people that were tasked with carrying Jesus' victory into the world. They were the insiders, the people who knew. And yet, one of them was a betrayer. And one of them, the captain of the bunch, deny he knew Jesus at all just a few hours later. And all of them, at the 11th hour, were still misunderstanding what the way of Jesus was all about. And we're arguing about who was the greatest and talking about finally picking up some real swords and getting something done. Part of what we do tonight is we see ourselves sitting at this first supper. Jesus brought us to this place as his family, and we bear his name into the world. And yet, how often have we left him? How often have we failed to carry the name of Jesus well? How often have we failed to sow the seeds of the kingdom well? I know I have. And tonight, I wonder if we can see ourselves in the faces of the disciples. If this, uh, if this scene wasn't so somber, it would almost be funny. Jesus is about to do the greatest act of self-sacrifice in the history of the world. And here are the disciples arguing about who's who's number one, or I guess who's number two. They're probably humble enough to say number two. (laughs) Here's Peter, as confident as can be, and Jesus says, before the rooster even has time to wake up, you're going to deny me three times. And in the last verses, where Jesus is saying, remember when I told you, you don't need to bring money or, na- or or clothing or an extra cloak or any of that stuff. You'll receive a warm welcome. Did you, you know, did you lack anything? And they all said, no, we didn't. And he says, but from now expect hostility. So as it were, you know, pack your bag and have your sword ready because it's about to get rough. And they say, yeah, we've got a couple of swords here. Like, are we about to, are we about to do this thing finally? And Jesus says, uh, Jesus says, it is enough, which I hear a, a sigh of resignation in that. Like, th- like three times he's kind of tried to bring the disciples into what's going on this night and three times they drop the ball and he finally just says, that's enough. I'm going to go into this utterly alone. No one's going to be with me. Can you recognize yourself here? We are meant to go into the world as servants, washing the feet of the world, But how much time do you spend weighing where you are in the pecking order? And wondering, am I I better than that person? Have I outperformed them? Do you feel fear and envy when someone else is successful? How much time do we sit there? Or are you like Peter? You're confident you'll do great things for God, you'll do great things in this world but despite your best efforts, you deny him in your words and in your actions and in failing to bear his name as you ought? Or have you spent too much time completely missing the way of Jesus and using the, the weapons of this world? Bitter anger and blame shifting, righteous indignation, holding up a silly sword or two in Jesus' name. Um, the disciples would have celebrated this meal for the rest of their lives, right? And it it was joyful, and it was an incredible celebration on the other side of the resurrection. But I imagine every time they celebrated this meal, they thought at one point, at least for a second, about that first one, and about what it felt like, and about what they did when they got up from the table, versus what Jesus did. Playing our part in the greatest story ever told Only works when we are operating out of a deep well of humility. That it's not us. Do you feel how you've missed it? Do you feel the weight of how you have let him down, the one who has never let you down? Maybe not. Maybe Jesus needs to still speak a hard word to you, like Peter. But if you do, if you do, I want to say this to you that Jesus got up from the table that night alone. And he walked into the darkness alone. And though we haven't played our part, he played his. The weight of the world is not on your shoulders. It fell on his shoulders. And that, in the unbelievable plan of God, was the whole point to begin with. And so when we go out, we can go out with this lighthearted joy, right? So don't hide in shame if you feel the weight of failure, if you feel the weight of sin, the one thing you shouldn't do is hide in shame. But carry all of it to the cross tomorrow and leave it there. Bring all your bitter memories, all your undeserving to be called by Jesus' name, bring it all there and see what new thing God is gonna do. There's gonna be another table on Sunday, the table of resurrection and restoration, a table of new hope and a renewed vocation and a clean slate of forgiveness. From this moment on, Jesus goes alone. And in the mystery of God, the good news comes to fruition. No one in this room entered the darkness of death with him. He tasted it all so that we could be free. And so it holds no power anymore. And so we can be remade. And so we can be renewed. And so we can play a part again in his good grace. Thanks be to God.